Good to see you this morning. Is it this morning still? It is still this morning, technically. Two minutes. Um, I want to ask you guys a question. The question is, have you ever been on a detour before? Most of us have probably been on a detour, right? Well, in my opinion, there's two types of detours, okay? There is the unplanned detour. The unplanned detour is usually the not enjoyable detour. It's usually when you're driving and there's some sort of construction work or it's a weather-related incident where you have to go around. I remember one time we were coming home from the coast and we had to take, I don't even remember what the names of the towns we went through, but we couldn't take the road back from like Bandon here and we had to go over the mountains and through the woods and it was wild. Um, it was pretty though, but it took like five more hours. Uh, but then there's the, the planned detours. There's the detours that are, are planned, and those detours are usually the more enjoyable detours to be on. Um, whether it's your, your backcountry drive, you know, from here to Ashland, and you want to take the back roads, back roads, or if you're a mountain man and you get out in your four-wheel drive and you take your detour, but you don't even know where you're detouring to, really, you know, you're just like, hey, I'm going to go up this road right here because it looks fun, right? Well, a couple years ago, me and my family, we decided to drive um, the Highway 1, we decided to take a detour. My wife's family lives in Southern California, so we travel to there pretty frequently. And um, we were coming home. We usually take the 99 or the 5. And we decided this time, you know what, let's take the 1. Why not? We were going to go from Santa Barbara to Monterey. It's one of the most pretty stretches of road out there in the United States and the world, really. You drive along the coast there. It's super pretty. So... We got in our car, it was me and my wife, and we had two kids at the time, and um, we're going, 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 and our kids start acting up a little bit. And if you have kids, and you've traveled with your kids, and they're young kids who are very needy, but you love them so much, um, it gets a little bit old after a while. Well, our kids, they started whining and yelling and screaming and crying and not wanting to fall asleep, and it got worse and worse and worse and worse, and to add to that... There was also some construction going on Highway 1. Highway 1's just, you know, a little two-lane thing. And so we got stuck in construction for about an hour and a half, moving, you know, one foot, two foot, one car length, two car lengths. It wasn't exciting. Um, and also on that drive, everybody in California decided to do that drive that day. It, anywhere you pulled out, it didn't matter. There was people everywhere. You tried to take, you know, there's a couple really cool pictures that you can take on that drive. And, you know, you pull out to try to take that picture and, you know, you had to wait for like 10 minutes because everybody else is taking that picture. So to get your family in there, you know, it just, it took forever. But the, the main reason why we wanted to take this detour and this drive was because I wanted to go through Big Sur and I wanted to see where the waterfall goes on to the beach. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that picture. It's a super cool shot. If you haven't, look it up. It's beautiful. So I was like, let's do this. And we don't need a map because I was a man, you know, obviously I don't need directions, right? So we started going and we're driving and I'm looking for the sign literally that says waterfall falling onto the beach. Like I'm thinking it's going to be there. There's going to be like either, it's either going to be like, you know, one of those uh, animated pictures or it's going to say something about a waterfall. We're just driving, going, going, going. We get to Monterey and that's when we knew that, okay, I think we've gone too far. So we missed 
our big opportunity to see the waterfall. I'm gonna go back one day and see it though. I'm excited. So the story that we're gonna be in today, it is about Jesus taking a detour, taking a detour from a journey that he was on. Um, It's not a random detour, but it's a detour with a motivation behind it. And I believe that we will see that Jesus has that same motivation for us in our lives as well. Um, It's the story of a man named Zacchaeus. Uh, If you've never heard this story, wow, most of you guys should have heard this story. But if you haven't, it's a great story. It's one of my favorite stories. Maybe you haven't heard it since Sunday school, but I love it, so I'm going to tell it. Um, It's a simple story, but I think it's a simple story that has a great truth in it that's applicable to every person in this room. I really, truly do believe that. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. If you're there, say amen. Come on, you guys are faster than that. 10 o'clock was like there. They were like, amen. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Chapter 19, we'll, we'll begin in verses 1 and 2. But before we do that, let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for an opportunity to gather together as a, a community, as a group of people to learn about you. I pray that you would be in this time and bless this word. In your name, amen. Verses 1 and 2, Luke chapter 19 says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was very wealthy. So Jesus enters Jericho. says he's entering Jericho and he's passing through. Jericho, if you recall, was destroyed by the children of Israel in Joshua chapter 6. Uh, God had given the children of Israel this promised land, but said, hey, you're going to go in here, but you need to kind of take it over. Well, the first city that they came upon was Jericho. Jericho was a massive city. It had these huge walls, impenetrable. It was this great place. Well, children of Israel go in. God gives them this awesome plan, says, hey, for six days, I want you to march around the city, six days, one time a day. So they do that. Six days, keep on going, going. Then on the seventh day, they're supposed to march around seven times. And at the end of the seventh time, they were supposed to yell and shout and blow their horns and the walls would come crashing down. So they did that and the walls came crashing down. Awesome. The walls actually, it says, came crashing in because of the power of God. And then the children of Israel go in and they overtake it, right? Then in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34, God puts a curse on whoever goes to rebuild Jericho. Well, this man, his name was Hiel from Bethel. He ends up rebuilding this great city. And in the process of rebuilding this great city, he loses two of his sons. So we see that the curse kind of comes true. So Jericho at this point, when Jesus is entering in, it is, it's been rebuilt And it's like a, I guess I could compare it to a modern day Las Vegas. It was a very 
kind of wealthy place where there was a lot of money, a lot of people who had a lot of money would hang out there. Um, and where there is wealth, there is always tax collectors, right? People wanting a piece of that wealth. Um, so Jesus is passing through Jericho, and he's getting towards the end of his earthly ministry at this point. He's heading on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified for the sins of the world. He's coming from a region known as Samaria. Now, coming from Samaria, he could have taken a more direct route to Jerusalem. Could have made it a little bit easier on himself. But coming from Samaria, he actually goes east, takes a left, and he goes over the Jordan River, along the Jordan River, and then back over, and that's where he finds himself in Jericho. So I asked myself this question, was this a random event? Was this a random route taken by Jesus? It possibly could have been a random route. Maybe he needed some more time to think. Maybe he wanted to buy himself some more time knowing what he was doing, where he was going. Maybe he wanted to work on his cardio. So he was like, hey, you know what? Let's take the long route, right? But I don't think those are the reasons. I think Jesus had a plan and Jesus had a motivation for going this way, for taking this detour through Jericho. And part of that plan was a man named Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus, it says, he's a chief tax collector. Now, um, when back, back then, Israel was under Roman rule, so people had to pay taxes. You had to pay taxes because Rome, you know, they were building their roads, they had to fund their military, they had to fund their government, and getting taxes together wasn't something done by the local accountant or QuickBooks Online or anything like that. It was done by these tax collectors. They would purchase a region of land, and then when they had that region of land, they would be responsible for collecting taxes within that region, and they would usually do that and then some. They would usually take a little bit more for themselves and keep it. That's kind of why tax collectors weren't the most well-loved people. So Zacchaeus, it says, he's not only a tax collector, but he's a chief tax collector. So he most likely had a crew of people under him who were also collecting taxes, who he would probably then get a cut from that. So Zacchaeus, it also says he was wealthy. He was a very wealthy man. It uh, doesn't give specific details to how wealthy Zacchaeus was, but I imagine that his life was very comfortable. If he wanted it, he could probably have it. And if you translate that into today's society and today's wealth, what would that look like? The wealthy people, what do they say? Man, if I want something, I can have it, anything. Well, maybe they buy something like the History Supreme. It's a yacht. It's uh, got 100,000 kilograms of gold on the inside, in the interior, built into it. Also on the inside, it has the bones of a T-Rex. Why not, right? If you can have it. It also has miniature meteorites. No joke. This boat is massive. It is huge. The price tag for it, though, $4.8 billion. So... I've told all the other services, if we pool all our money together and we get a, probably another loan out and another loan on top of that, then maybe we could all buy it and we could all just live on it. It's really big. It'd be very cozy, I guess. If that's too much, though, you can buy a car. It's not a brand new car. It's a collector car. It's a 1962 Ferrari 250 GTO. 
It's a beautiful car, Ferrari red, exhaust tips. I mean, everything. It's, it's the total Ferrari, the picturesque. It sold in the UK for $35 million recently. And if you have a very nice car, then you need a very nice place to park it, right? Well, you can park it on 66 East and 11th Street in downtown Manhattan. It's an eight-story luxury condo and one parking spot there. Just the parking spot is $1 million. So you better, you better have a car over a million dollars if you're parking it in a parking space that costs a million dollars, right? So Zacchaeus, he lives in this happening city. Zacchaeus, he's got a good job. Zacchaeus, he's making gobs of money. He's working a lot less than probably a lot of people. So the world would say, man, you got it going on pretty good, right? But did he? Did Zacchaeus have it going on good for him? I'm not sure that he did. I think Zacchaeus knew deep down in his heart that there was a piece of the puzzle missing in his life. He knew that just, okay, I got all this stuff. I got this good job and I got this good life and I got anything I want, but it's still not really adding up for me. I'm still not fully satisfied. Well, then Jesus comes on the scene and we read in verses three and four, it says he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So Zacchaeus, he wants to see who Jesus was. It could have been something out of curiosity, possibly. Maybe he saw the crowd of people and was like, hey, what's going on here? I want to see who this guy is. But I really think that Zacchaeus knew who Jesus was. It was towards the end of Jesus's earthly ministry. So I'm sure he had heard the stories. He had heard the miracles. He had heard of people coming back to life. He had heard of people that were sick for the rest of their life getting healed. He had heard all these great things, I'm sure. And so he wanted to see who this Jesus was. But Zacchaeus was vertically challenged, challenged, so he had a problem. He could not see over the crowd. So what did he do? He climbs a tree, a sycamore fig tree. Now, some scholars say that these trees are easy to climb. Some scholars say that these trees are hard to climb. I've never climbed one, so I can't sit here and tell you, hey, this tree is easy or hard to climb. But I say that because no matter the difficulty, when was the last time you saw a grown man climbing a tree? You don't roll to your you know, neighbor, hey, what are you doing up in that tree, man? Oh, I'm just climbing it, just checking it out. you know. No, we used to climb trees when we were young because it was easy and it was fun and it was, you know, hey, let's go to try to see how high we can go or whatever. But what I love to see here is the motivation by Zacchaeus. He's motivated to see Jesus. He could have very easily saw the crowd coming. Oh, who's that coming? Oh, it's Jesus. Oh, cool. All right, I'm gonna go get some taxes. No, he stops what he's doing. He goes to this tree, climbs up it easy or hard to see who this man is coming, this Jesus. And then we read in verses five through seven, it says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. So Jesus is walking along. There's people everywhere, most likely. And he stops and he looks up at Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus, 
get down here. I'm coming over to your house, buddy. And it's amazing to me that Jesus knows Zacchaeus' name. See, they had probably never met before. John 10 says that he calls his sheep us by name. Isn't it a great fact to know that we have a God in heaven that knows each and every one of you guys by name? He knows who you are, your age. He knows everything about you. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. That's an awesome thing to me. So Zacchaeus, he jumps down and he welcomes him gladly into his house. And I love Zacchaeus's attitude. He doesn't hesitate, but he has a willingness. He has nothing to hide. He's like, sure, come, come, come right into my house. And that was something challenging for me. And I think it's challenging for all of us to just think about, would I, would you welcome Jesus into your house willingly? Or would you need to go in there first and, you know, shut that cabinet, take that thing and slip it under the couch, whatever it is? Or are we living transparent lives where we would say to Jesus, yeah, come into my house. So Jesus goes with Zacchaeus and the bystanders, they're pretty ticked about it. They're kind of angry that this has happened, that Jesus would pick a sinner to stay with. You would think that Jesus would have gone to the biggest, most popular church in that town and he would have found the head pastor and been like, hey buddy, let's go hang out. Or you think Jesus would have gone to that congregation or another congregation or a church or whatever and just said, hey, let's, let's all get together, right? No, Jesus picks a sinner, a person who is really despised by most people. Is this a coincidence, like Jesus' detour into Jericho? I don't think it is. And then in verse 8, it says, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. So Jesus and Zacchaeus, they have a, a private moment together. The time is not specified. The, the conversation is not included. But I really do believe that Zacchaeus, he has a life-changing transformation. Maybe Jesus told him how his journey was about to end. Maybe he said, Zacchaeus, hey, buddy, this is where I'm going. This is why I'm going there. This is what's going to happen there. Or maybe he told Zacchaeus some details about himself that wiped away any doubts that Zacchaeus might have had. I don't know, it doesn't say, but what I do see and what I do know is the fruit that is evident in the life of Zacchaeus. After their conversation, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, all things that are apparent in the believer of Jesus Christ. Zacchaeus, he says two things. He says, I'm going to give away half of my possessions to the poor, and I'm going to pay back all that I have stolen times four. Okay, so as we talked earlier, Zacchaeus, he probably had a lot of possessions. And we know when we own something, it's hard to give it away, right? I was in Bible college, and um, it was in Hawaii, and one of my buddies there, he had bought a moped. He bought it brand new from the dealership. 
And it was super cool. So fun to have a moped there because you can kind of zip around and go anywhere. You don't have to wear helmets. I would wear a helmet though, obviously, law-abiding citizen. Um, but uh, he had a moped and then he left at the end of that semester. And so I ended up buying the moped from him because I was staying another semester. So I had a moped there. It was so fun to just go anywhere I wanted, do anything I wanted to do. And then I was leaving my, it was my last semester, so I was done, and I needed to get rid of my moped. So I put it on Craigslist, had a few hits here and there. No one was super interested. Um, but uh, eventually, one of my buddies that was going to the Bible college and was staying there was like, hey, man, like, I'll, I'll take your moped. Like, I'll, I'll buy it from you. I was like, okay, cool. So I gave him a good price, and we agreed on the deal, and um, I went my way, and he paid me a little bit of money. And um, so we had decided that over the next couple months or whatever, he was just going to pay me some money here and there when he had some. Um, but some time went by, and uh, I had still not gotten the whole thing paid off. I was about halfway paid off. And I remember one day I was thinking about it, and I kind of needed some money, but I knew that he was kind of tied on money too. So I was like, you know what? I don't need this money. I'm just going to tell him I don't need it. So I wrote him a message. I was like, hey, buddy, like, just keep the moped. Don't, don't worry about paying me the rest of the money. He thanked me. It was cool. And I don't tell that story to you know, pat myself on the back, but I tell that story because it was easy to do that because I was motivated by love. I loved my friend. He was a really cool guy. He was one of my really good buddies there. And I knew that he was in a, a kind of a tough spot financially. So I was like, you know what, man? Don't even worry about it, whether I needed the money or not. And Zacchaeus, his decision to give away half of his possessions, it was something that was motivated by love, a fruit of the Spirit that we see evident in his life. It was an easy decision. Also, Zacchaeus said he was going to pay back four times the amount to all whom he had cheated. According to the law in Numbers chapter 5, verse 6 and 7, if you took some from somebody financially, you would have to pay them back the full amount plus one-fifth of what you had stolen. So if you stole $100 from someone, you have to pay them back $120, okay? So Zacchaeus, I love that he goes above and beyond what is legally required of him. He pays back four times the amount of what he had taken from people. Once again, it's an outpouring of what was happening on the inside of his life. I can only imagine the faces of some of the people when Zacchaeus knocked on the door and was like, here you go, handed him a check. Really? Wow, Zacchaeus, what a change. And then we read in verses nine and 10. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So here we have our proof of Zacchaeus' transformation. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. And then he says one, one of the most profound statements, I think, in the Bible. He says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. How many of you guys have ever lost something? I think we all have lost something, right? I know I've lost plenty of things. But the worst two things to lose, in my opinion, are your car keys and your wallet. Because you never know they're gone until it's too late. You know, you're getting ready to go. You've got all your kids loaded up. Everybody's dressed. You're ready to leave the house. All right, here we go. Who's got the keys? I don't got the keys. You got the keys? I don't got the keys. Where are the keys? You start ripping your house apart. You don't have the keys, right? Or if you go shopping and you're up and down the aisles, you know, you're in there an hour, you're buying all your stuff, you're ready for the week, and you go to pay, and you don't got your wallet. Really? That's happened to me a few times. Not fun, right? 
What do you do though when you lose something? What do you do? You look for it, right? If you lose something, you wanna find it. Remember, Jesus was on a detour in the beginning of our story. Why? Because he had lost something. He knew that there was someone who was lost. And that person was Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a sinner that Jesus chose to seek out. Zacchaeus was a sinner who knew that a piece of the puzzle was missing from his life. He was a sinner who was motivated to catch a glimpse of his savior. He was a sinner who was saved by the grace of a loving God. And he was a sinner who was now living a fruitful, abundant life. I love that Jesus went out of his way to find this man, Zacchaeus. So to close, I want to apply this to us, and I think it applies to all of us in here. It can, because the Bible is living and it's powerful. I want to ask you a question. I'm asking you a lot of questions today, sorry. Do you feel lost today? Do you feel like maybe recently you've wandered from that straight and narrow path that you were once on? I think we all, if, if we're all honest with ourselves, it's easy to get a little bit lost. Maybe you used to pray and read your Bible every day without fail. Maybe you used to have family devotions every day. Maybe you used to seek opportunity to share about Jesus. Maybe you used to care about the lost and the needy. Maybe you used to go on mission and you were passionate about that, seeing people saved, doing things for others. Maybe you used to, you used to, you used to, you used to, whatever it is, fill in the blank. But you feel like you've gotten a little bit off course. You feel like you're lost. Well, there's an analogy. Some of you guys might have heard it before, but when a, a plane is flying, if it's flying in a direction and it gets one degree off course, for every mile that it goes, it gets, six, it gets 92 feet off course, 92 feet from where it's supposed to be. So if you started on the equator and you flew all the way around the world, you wouldn't be back at the equator. You'd be 500 miles from where you're supposed to be. For most of us, it starts small. We get a little bit off course. Time goes by and we get farther and 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 farther away until one day we wake up and we're looking around and just, man, where, where, where am I? What is going on in my life right now? What has happened to me? Well, consider Jesus your air traffic controller. And just like Zacchaeus, he's calling you out by name. He knows each and every one of you guys in here, like I said earlier. And he's calling you out by name if you've gotten off track. It's a great thing to know that we have a God who desires to be close to us and for us to be close to him. When we go astray, he comes to us, he seeks us out, he comes and finds us, and he calls us by name, and he helps get us back on course. That's a great, awesome thing. Maybe for the first time, though, you're in church today, and, and you, you don't even realize that you're lost. 
you don't even realize that there's a piece of a puzzle missing from your life. You're, but maybe, maybe deep down though, you know that, man, this just doesn't seem right to me. I got all this stuff. I, I think it's going pretty good, but there's, there's, there's something missing. Let me be the first to tell you that there is a God in heaven and he sent his son Jesus to come down onto the earth to die for the sins of humanity, to die for your sins, to die for my sins. And Jesus said that if you believe in me, if you confess that I am your savior, then you will be saved. It's a simple life-changing decision that will put you on the right course forever. And because of Jesus Zacchaeus' life, it was really changed forever. He was now giving instead of taking. He was now caring for people instead of disregarding people. He was now enjoying this fruitful life that comes by knowing Jesus and having a relationship with him. And it's my hope and my prayer that if you feel lost today, that you would desire to have that fruitful life, to get back to where you know you're supposed to be. And don't think that I'm up here just talking at you guys. I'm, I'm talking to myself as well because there's been times in my life that I've been off track. And I get to a point when I look and I'm just like, man, what am I doing? Where am I at right now? Like, I know I need to go back this way. And I always know that that's God, the Holy Spirit speaking to me saying, man, Kelly, what are you doing? Get back to where you know you're supposed to be. Maybe you're here today and you want to make that commitment. You've never made that commitment. Well, that's my prayer that you would make that commitment to follow Jesus, to have a relationship with him today because it's the best decision you will ever make. So we're going to close with a few songs like we always do. And when we close with, with music, we always take communion. The elements are up front here. And communion is remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross. He broke his body for us. He shed his blood for us brutally on the cross. And if you're feeling off course today, then through communion, this is your opportunity to, to confess, man, God, yeah, I feel like I am a little bit off track. I need to get back. I need to get right. I need to get rid of these things. We'll confess that. And through communion, man, you can get back on the right track it's an awesome thing that we get the opportunity to do this every week. And then after communion, you're going to have an opportunity to receive prayer. After Brandon prays for communion, he's going to give you guys an opportunity during the last couple songs of worship to come forward. And we're going to have some pastors and leadership here. We would love to pray with you. If you're just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm way off. I need some prayer. Then come forward. If you want to receive salvation, if you want someone to walk you through that process, come forward. We would love to talk with you. Don't hesitate. I know it's kind of nerve-wracking to come forward in front of everybody, but I love it because it's a commitment. You're saying, yeah, yeah, I need this, and I'm serious about this. So I'm going to get up on, on statement in front of everybody and come forward and say, yeah, I, I do need some prayer. I do need salvation. It's a great, awesome thing. So I hope that you will take advantage of that today. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to worship you, to learn about you. I thank you for the story of Zacchaeus and 
Um, just his life, Lord, how he was lost and, and, and knew that there was something wrong and you found him. And I thank you that if we feel lost, you will find us. So I pray that if there is anybody in here today that is feeling lost in life, that they need to come forward and receive prayer, that they would do that. Lord, we thank you for this communion that we could partake of it and receive forgiveness for the things that we have done. And if there is anybody here today that needs salvation, Lord, I pray that you'd be um, just putting that on their hearts today, God. And so we thank you for this day and, and ask a blessing on the rest of this time. In your name, amen.